Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. My name is Chris Hopkins and I am the Vice President of the Evolution USA business. Today I'm joined by an amazing panel to discuss the topic of how to cultivate innovation within a team environment. I'd like to now introduce you to our panel for today. So Matt, do you want to kick things off? Absolutely. Happy to start. I'm Matthew Wood. I am currently the deputy CTO at the Massachusetts Department of Transportation. Um, in my career, I started out actually in management consulting, doing a lot of uh, hands-on development, uh, strategy, project management, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then did briefly work with uh, one of our other guests here, Steve, at uh, 170 Systems, and uh, but then moved into sort of the, the software space, uh, ran engineering teams, and more recently have moved a little bit more into sort of operations and infrastructure. Uh, and uh, in terms of passions, we were uh, you know talking about that. I think my my passion in my career is uh, is solving problems. I, I I struggle to not try and find a solution to a to a problem, which can be a a problem in itself sometimes. I think. <laughs> <laughs> solving problems by creating them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, thanks for that, Matt. Uh, Colleen, over to you. Yeah, hi, I'm Colleen Tarto. I am Director of Enterprise Engineering at Starburst. We are a data analytics company that makes it possible for organizations to do analytics anywhere. Um, I've been at Starburst a little over two years, and then beyond that, I've been in the Boston data and startup scene for quite a while. In terms of passions, I would say I'm passionate about data, and that takes the form of writing about it, speaking about it, and then also trying to solve the world's data problems with my work at Starburst. Excellent. Um, well, you'll get a chance to talk about your passion <laughs> today, which is great. Um, moving on to Steve. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Stephen Picciano, uh, VP of Engineering at FineTune. Uh, we're an ed tech uh, company. Um, uh, we're probably, um, uh, best known for uh, uh, a product that's used by uh, many of the, the high schools in the United States. Uh, so we just came out of a, a peak period for us um, with final exams and, and whatnot. Um, uh, great to get together again with Matt. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, Colleen, uh, I'm, a, I'm an advisor at Starburst. Uh, yes. I managed the Starburst <laughs> team when they were at Teradata. Uh, oh, great. Yeah, uh, we spun out and uh, uh, they, they formed Starburst. Uh, which was great. Uh, there, I'm always rooting for you guys. Oh, that's great! I love uh, that connection. <laughs> uh, as far as uh, passion, um, it, it's really about uh, you know using metrics and innovation to help uh, engineers work as efficiently and productively as possible. Uh, being a uh, engineering leader for for many years or decades now, I guess. Um, uh, especially at startups, uh, it's very important that uh, you're your engineers are working uh, and they're firing on all cylinders. Uh, there's, you know, there's the growth aspect of go hire a whole bunch of engineers and QA and DevOps. Uh, but what's most important is that they're working uh, uh, really as close to capacity as possible. Perfect. Thanks very much. And then last but by no means least, uh, Akshay. Uh, hello, everyone. Thanks, Chris. Uh, I'm Akshay. I'm currently a senior manager for systems engineering at Motional uh, at the Boston office in Massachusetts, of course. Um, I, what we do at Motional, my team's mission is really to build safety critical software system designs um, for the for the self-driving robot taxi service. 
Uh, you may have seen some of our cars driving around in Las Vegas, uh, Santa Monica as well. So uh, a lot of what we do is building the heart of our AV platform. So the platform systems engineering, uh, the platform that goes on every car, every city, right? So that's 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 the output of my team. So we work closely with software, uh, software engineers, safety teams, as well as test teams to make sure uh, the requirements that we deliver are the ones that the systems are complying with. So uh, it's it's a new role for me. It's about um, completing about four to five months. Now, before this, I was uh, director of engineering at Humatics, again, in Boston area. And Humatics uh, really focuses on building micro-location systems. And the teams I led uh, built navigation systems for safety-critical rail transportation. So a lot of deployments uh, on vehicles carrying 500 to 1,000 people at a time. So um, this uh, a, a lot of this background is like I started my career a, a decade ago in robotics. And really, that's that's what my passion is. Looking back, I, I have this tagline called build robots, save, save lives. And that's, that is what really drives me to work and helps me you know, figure out what is the, that next step I want to take in my career and how can I make the impact uh, on, on at the humanity level. So bringing uh, the automation, the AI technologies, the robotic technologies to actually increase the standard of living for human lives. That's, that's really what I'm passionate about. Um, and from a day-to-day -day part of my life, uh, my professional life, and as a part of this journey, as I am uh, growing into, uh, growing as a manager, you know, I found that what I enjoy the most is seeing other people succeed along with me as a group. And I, I really enjoy building teams, bringing people together to execute on a mission, mentor individuals to have, to see them grow on their career path, be it within, you know, my, uh, my scope of work or outside, right? Like that, that is where uh, I, I find gratitude and, uh, um, yeah, it's it's a constant learning experience for me as I'm as I'm growing into different roles, stepping into different industries, and certainly the AV industry has a lot of challenges uh, that that I'm becoming more and more aware of now. Brilliant, thanks for that, Akshay, and thanks very much for those intros. Um, let's move on to discuss today's topic then: um, how to cultivate innovation within a team environment. And let's start with the question that Matt put forward, which was, in the current hybrid environment, how do you create those serendipitous meetings and discussions that happen in the office, conversations around the water cooler, in the elevator, etc., that do trigger innovative ideas? So Matt, as I said, that was your question. Do you want to give some context and set the scene for us? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for that. Uh, so I think, as you mentioned, you know, this is something that i've uh, experienced as a challenge in the in the hybrid environment so you know we all went through uh you know the covid lockdown a couple of years ago now everything went went remote and certainly within within my organization we are still primarily a remote organization you know people are in the office and for me with operational people i've got some people in the office full time other people who literally have not been back in the office since before the pandemic started um, and I think we all remember those those times when you'd be, you know, you'd bump into someone in the hallway or, you know, just get a chance to someone you weren't expecting to talk with. And you end up having a conversation about something completely unexpected and it triggers all sorts of ideas, whether it's, you know, 
process improvements or you know technical innovation or whatever it is and it's it, it feels that those that's one of the things we miss with the the hybrid workplace that you know those people I used to bump into I don't bump into in the in the same ways and from my perspective I've taken some steps to try and come up with approaches to that you know I actually have a a regular meeting with my team that's it's called the water cooler meeting and you know it's designed for everyone who's working remote we actually started it as a a way to early in the pandemic for people who really weren't seeing other people to make sure that everyone got you know plenty of human contact for someone in my position I'm on meetings day in day out so I you know no but for a lot of the developers and server admins and people like that you know they're really not having that much contact so we started it as a way to really make sure that those people were getting plenty of face-to-face -face time and and so on but also you know we made sure we didn't have an agenda for this meeting it was just let's get together let's be on camera and and chat about whatever comes up and i think it it probably does a little bit to to get us there but it certainly doesn't really create those sort of serendipitous moments that that i think we miss and i'm still struggling to work out how to how to generate that in the hybrid environment perfect thanks for for that mass i think um everybody can relate to to this topic i'm sure so steve do you want to um, jump in with your thoughts sure yeah that that's a great idea the water cooler meeting uh, uh for sure um and this this has been a problem uh for in really the last even pre-pandemic uh last few companies i worked at where they had uh uh, very flexible work from home um, options. Uh, one company I was at, we had work from home Fridays. Uh, another company, it was, you never quite knew who was going to be in the office that day. Um, and I do remember that, uh, you know, you'd come to maybe work from home one day, you come in the next day and people are talking about something that was discussed, uh, you know, after the meeting that you logged into. Uh, it was, you know, in the hallway after the meeting ended. It was before the meeting started. Uh, again, when you're waiting for a conference room to open up. Uh, so uh, I think it's been going on for, for a while. Um, uh, I think, yeah, the key uh, that uh, key thing you said there was having no agenda. Um, and I think that's important. And also having um, uh, a space uh, for brainstorming and, and let people know, you know, hey, this is a safe space to come and just throw ideas out there um, and, and uh, uh, give, give people that opportunity to, uh, to think creatively. Um, one of the challenges I know is with tools, uh, and that's where, uh, you know, we've tried to do something similar um, to have that, you know, stand up at a whiteboard and just start scribbling uh, is, I, I know, uh, a, a lot of the uh, web conference tools do offer some some options there, but it's a little bit different when you're, you know, doing that on a, on a computer screen than uh, a real whiteboard. So uh, that's something I'm still trying to uh, figure out. Uh, we're also 100% remote uh, as well, and uh, I, I, I always want to start to show somebody something, and I want to stand up and start writing on a wall somewhere. So, uh, but yeah, I agree. That's uh, it's it's definitely a challenge, and and I think coming up with some ideas where uh, I'd be interested to hear what other people think about that too. You know, you have to be, you have to give them the creative space, but you also have to be when you're you're doing that um, uh, water cooler meeting that you're in the right mindset. Uh, you know, that you're not trying to do work on the side or uh, things like that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Colleen, what are your thoughts? 
Um, I th I think Matt really hit on something interesting that we are on Zoom all day, every day, or at least I am. Right? I think we all are um, just seeing people and in meetings all day. And for individual contributors, that's not true, right? And so making sure that they are having conversations and these interactions with their colleagues, regardless of whether we're present, is really important. Uh, we have some, we have a couple of tools that we we keep around that we implemented early on in the pandemic, but I think they're really valuable. One is, you know, we have a donut channel in Slack and it's an app that sets people up with random other people in the organization that they may or may not know just for like a no agenda 30 minute meeting, right? And it's a great way, especially in a hyper growth company to meet other people. Um, we also have time to just chat and we don't call it water cooler. We actually have an event because, you know, engineers, introverts might not, it might be a little awkward just to get on a, <laughs> a Zoom with no agenda. So we play poker, which is really fun. Um, but, you know, Steve, to your point, I do think that you need to be thoughtful and deliberate about this. And we have a truly hybrid culture where we do have some people based in Boston who can go into the office whenever they want and they can meet up in person. And there's something there that you're not going to get when you're not in person. And so we, now that the world is opening up a bit, we're starting to think about having offsites, which I think are important, especially in a hybrid world where you are globally distributed. You know, we no longer pay for quite as much office space take that money and buy people plane tickets, right? <laughs> like bring people together when you can, because I do think that, you know, to your point, Steve, there is no substitute for a whiteboard sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks for that, Colleen. There's some, uh, some good ideas that you guys have implemented over at Starburst, which is great. Actually, what, what are your thoughts on this topic? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to highlight one thing that Colleen mentioned, right? We are in a new place. so. For me, having an expectation that I'll get an experience of a coffee machine virtually is pretty much impossible. So that's that's something to acknowledge and just accept. Um, and like the, the part of it is actual deliberate efforts, and that's what Stephen Colleen mentioned. There are there needs to be deliberate efforts to one make everyone feel that this hybrid work culture is the new normal. So there are going to be people at work and there are going to be people at home and their information being passed when you are at work is will be different than when you're sitting behind a screen on a computer um one of the things like i've um you know I, i've thought about is in terms of the spectrum of people there there is that you know self consciousness about can i reach out to the other person uh, and there are introverts who are on maybe on the left of the spectrum, a score of two, and then there are extroverts. They're, they're the program managers, they, you know, they, they are on the nine and 10 side. They will reach out to you, uh, even if there is no purpose, and you'll end up finding a purpose on those talks. But um, in, in terms of deliberate effort, setting up these uh, new rituals, new events that, you know, bring the team closer, uh, I go back and ask myself two questions. Uh, how, how can I, make my others perceive that I am available for, for a chat when my calendar is not booked. Because those are the times that where I would be walking around in office and run into conversations that, that are serendipitous. So um, can I solve that problem with the ritual by having me, I'm coming from a system side of things, can we, can we have an integration week 
let's let's bring in you know other cross-functional teams because we have a purpose to solve let's do it do it together and it's more effective to do it together um and the the second part is actually identifying what is the value for an individual or that team when they are in person what is the value they drive out of being in person because we as leaders and managers we we our, the output that we would expect out of a conversation is different versus an individual contributor. So I get into these conversations in my one-on-ones or even like, you know, team retrospectives. You know, we, when we, was it effective to come and do these, this thing in person or should we just step back, stay at home and plan, do something differently so that people are more engaged. They are, they know what the team, they identify what the team needs are and then a- take actions towards closing those gaps. Uh, Colleen? Yeah, something Akshay said uh, made me think also about people outside the company, right? Like you don't go to conferences in person quite so much anymore. I mean, they are starting to begin, but there are a lot of Slack communities out there. I've been a lot of different data Slack communities and people go to online conferences and encourage people to bring that information that they're learning outside of the company in. And I think that'll really spur uh, innovation as well, because you get that diversity of thought from people's viewpoints outside of your company. So I think that's part of, you know, as a leader being very encouraging of people to be part of your community and to really, you know, whether it's an open source community or a larger community or something based on a technology, I think it's really important to encourage that. Yeah, absolutely. That, um, as you said, diversity of thought is is powerful. So great idea. I think, um, you know what's been touched on a couple of times already is that there's there's ultimately probably no substitute for that face-to-face interaction with with the team or or different teams and whether it be in the office off-site getting that time um, to be in the same room physically will ultimately spark different conversations to 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 zoom conversations it will spark um, and ignite and develop the relationships as well which is um, what we're all looking looking to do um steve um what are your thoughts yeah um yeah a couple couple things um one thing that actually said about about slack uh that you know one of the things that, that we struggle with especially our less uh less experienced developers is uh you know very similar to um not just having an innovation conversation but just when did when do they need help like knowing you know, it's it's you're either in a mode where you're polling them uh, to say, hey, how are you doing? Do you need help? Or you're hoping they're comfortable reaching out. And, and many times they're not because they don't know when it's OK to interrupt uh, or to, to ping someone on Slack. And, uh, you know, back in the days when everyone's in the office, you always saw somebody stand up and kind of walk around in circles near their desk. And you said, oh, they they're trying to figure something out <laughs> or they walk to the water cooler or the kitchen for a snack because they need to clear their mind or something. Uh, so I think, yeah, the technology uh, is, is such that it is challenging at times to to figure out when to have those one-on-one conversations or group conversations. Um, one thing I, I wanted to mention is about a year ago, we started uh, uh, talking about uh, how can we get some of those ideas that maybe you picked up at a at a conference or just you read about uh, how can you start sharing those and we we created some some slack channels for that but um we became uh actually a little more prescriptive in the in the sense that we started doing what i call micro learning sessions and uh they're very short uh, they typically are 15 to 20 minute 
presentation or discussion. It can be on anything. Uh, so I've done some on soft skills. Uh, others have done, you know, shown shown some code, uh, show how you unit test and react, uh, what have you. Uh, how do you de debug a, an issue in uh, some of our React JavaScript code? Uh, and uh, then afterward, leave leave some time for questions, and uh, we record those and then distribute them out to the all the developers, so people who couldn't attend uh, can still can still watch them. And those have been uh, very popular, and uh, uh, many many of the developers like signing up for uh, presenting a topic. Yeah, I like I like the idea of that, particularly you know, 15, 20 minutes, short and sharp. I think people will naturally be more inclined to fit that into their daily daily schedule than yeah. if it was booked into the Doris for an hour or so. Um, so very yeah, good. I thought, I thought about that just with um, when I was going to a conference, you know, I'd go to, I'd go to a conference and many of the sessions are a half hour to 45 minutes. They're not going to tell you everything you need to know. They tell you just enough to know whether you want to go look into it further. And uh, and so I thought, all right, let's let's try to model that. Um, and, and we we do that through these uh, two to three micro learning sessions um, every month. Brilliant. Akshay, um, you wanted to contribute again? Um, yeah, I, I had just like one of the thoughts and incidents that happen uh, around me that I feel it actually creates motivation for people who are in the middle of the spectrum, you know, kind of what motivates you to come to work and going back to the serendipitous meetings that Matt is asking about, right? Those meetings still happen if I'm in person, I run into people and we have discussions. So when when there are those times, actually going back in team meetings and saying, you know, I we, we I ran into this person and we discussed about this and this is how, you know, I got to know about this new idea or this new problem that, you know, was our blind spot before. But making making the source of that conversation be very visible sometimes has helped people to, you know, get out of their seat and yes i need i, I want to go to work i want to be a part of those conversations as well it's it's just it's been a long time that people have done that so they may not some people are not aware about that experience anymore perfect um and looping background to matt what are you what are your thoughts to add on to what others have shared I think a lot of great ideas there. I particularly like the uh, the donut app. I'm going to have to do some digging into that. We don't use Slack, but I think there's uh, it may work with Teams or there may be alternatives. Um, and I like the, uh, I think what actually was getting towards was uh, maybe FOMO, right? Fear of missing out that if we, you know, people can see what the, the good things that are happening in the office, it'll encourage people to come in a little bit more and take advantage of that making making it a great experience to come into the office, even if, you know, not every day, but every now and then just, you know, getting those face-to-face -face meetings. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I think um, ultimately there, there's no silver bullet to, to solve this, this problem, unfortunately. However, there are lots of different um, tools and processes, you know, you can put in place with your team or, or look at from a company-wide perspective to, to help with the engagement and, and ensuring that there is platforms for ideas and innovation to, to come through. Um, so brilliant. Thanks for, for all of your inputs there. Let's move on to the next topic, which was Colleen's, um, the topic that you're passionate about, data. So um, how does data influence innovation? Do you want to, again, set the scene for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's I, and the reason I bring this up is that I read an article a couple of weeks ago about the classic 
Netflix example of data-driven in innovation. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing the article, so I apologize if I get a detail wrong, but when they were coming up with the show House of Cards, which was a phenomenon that drew incredible subscriber numbers for them, it was one of their first shows that they produced and filmed, fans loved the British show. They also had focus groups that said that fans loved specific actors, among whom were Robin Wright Penn and Kevin Spacey, which at the time made sense. And they also loved the certain director, I think it's David Fincher. Um, so they, they used data and they were like, let's put all this together. And it turns out it was a hit and it drew subscriber numbers where people were subscribing solely for that show. And then they used that methodology for other shows. And it's, you know, Netflix is now, you know, my kid's favorite app, but it's also, you know, it, dry, it drove the entire world of streaming in a lot of ways. So this is, in my mind, a real classic example of data-driven innovation. So how do we take that and build it in an engineering world? Brilliant. So great, great example um, to uh, set the scene. Thanks for that, Galeen. Who would like to pick up the baton initially with this topic? Akshay, over to you. This this topic is close to my heart as well. <laughs> Thanks for asking this question, Colleen. So um, I, may, I would like to you know, start a little bit on the, on the philosophical side on what how I think about innovation and then data, right? So innovation in its own term is non-empirical. It's it's a feeling, it's a burst of thought that, that happens. And we as humans are really designed to create hypotheses and then put efforts to either proving those hypotheses or disproving those hypotheses, right? Um, and that is like, if a hypothesis is successful, that's, that's where innovation comes from. And we should be aware there are billions and billions of hypotheses that have failed. So um, in it, going back in history, this, like the, you know, discovering that Earth is the center uh, is you know uh, is not the center, and we are rotating around sun by Galileo in 1600s. Newton's equation of motion, Einstein's uh, theory of relativity, and even today's machine learning algorithms, right? They are all based off some hypotheses that were eventually proven using data. So fast forwarding to where we are today, right? 2022, um, data is available, and on. Uh, on the flip side of innovation, data is empirical. You can observe it. You can can see the patterns. You can measure what's going on. And the availability of this data accelerates innovation. So you can be faster at creating hypotheses and proving or disproving if that is correct or not. Right? And that is what really shortens the time to result and shortens the time to prove that are we going in the right direction for innovation, creating that value that we that will help us succeed or not. Um, so yeah, that's that's really like how I think about data and how that connects to innovation. Um, and the most recent example of that happening really is the COVID vaccine. Um, we like this is a, this is like an achievement, unbelievable achievement by us as humans, only because we've been collecting data over like at least two decades on how, what vaccines will work in such a scenario. Brilliant, again, a really good example to, to share. So um, Matt, um, what are your thoughts? You're on mute there, Matt. Oh, I am, of course I am. I had to be the first, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Someone always is, don't worry. <laughs> 
no, go, going back to the uh, the Netflix example, which you know I think we can all uh, you know un understand and, and resonate with. I, I think the, the first thing is I, I wonder how many other combinations of show and director and actor and so on did they come up with that maybe didn't work out or you know they tried to make it and it, it wasn't a success. Um, but in terms of trying to take that kind of model, I mean, I think it's something a lot of us already do, depending on the industry. You know, you look at who your customers are, right? And uh, you maybe, you know, you do, uh, you you pull data from them, right? You know, what are they, you know, what are the, what are the applications that they're hitting? What are the functions that they're using? What are the, you know, what are the slices of data that they're pulling in the products and so on? And look at where you can go from uh, from there. But then the thing that comes to to mind is a, a saying by I, I think Henry Ford many times ago said if uh, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Um, but he you know he built a car because he knew you know he felt he knew better, and I think history would suggest he did. Um, and I think that's the key, right? How you know there's maybe going above what the the immediate data tells you by asking your customers to to what might they want that people haven't even thought about yet. And I think that goes back to something that was mentioned earlier, which is diversity, right? And and to me, that's one of the overarching themes in innovation is diversity and, uh, you know, getting the different people that you might normally ask and, you know, people who maybe aren't the typical end user of your product. What are the, you know, if they look at it from a whole new angle, what do they think? And, you know, what data might you be able to pull from different areas there? To me, that's probably the, uh, the key thing of taking it to that, to that next level. Yeah. I can, uh, um, heading back to Akshay. Sorry, I had never put my hand down. That's my bad. Don't worry, no problem. Let's uh, go up to, to Steve. I wanted to uh, just kind of follow on uh, with what Matt said, um, and that's really a, a lot of the principles around agile. Uh, you know, it's it's the, uh, some call it fail fast, others call it MVP, whatever. Uh, how how can you invest as little as possible before you can start getting that data? How can you start uh, collecting data and analyzing it? And um, you know, to put that into like practical application development terms. Um, you know, when you design a, a user interface, you know, doing it in a way that's flexible enough that you can then watch your users and see what's working for them, what's not working for them, and then how you can evolve that uh, without investing um, a lot of times. So that's where, you know, if you think about waterfall, that's where waterfall kind of fell down. Uh, you know, you typically had a one year, two year investment uh, to build something and put it in front of the users and you could have missed the mark. You know, it's, it could have, uh, user maybe the user interface uh, wasn't working for the users or uh you know the, the case of um uh, a car you know the car example if you if you put the wrong car out there uh you know you spend a lot of time building a car and seeing that a little bit uh with some of the new evs uh coming out uh some are just they're not taken off like tesla uh you know they're not people aren't buying them uh in in tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of cars uh, so, you know, there, there are some people who are missing the mark, but uh, that, that investment's pretty big to get to get there. So how to thinking about ways to make that investment as small as possible when you can start uh, analyzing the data that you're uh, getting from that. Um, on the basis that you intentionally put your hand up, Akshay, um, what's, uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, well, I actually like I, I have a, maybe a question for this panel, right? One of the 
the challenges, especially in the robotics industry that we run into is getting to that point to collect data. And given we are heading towards machine learning first approaches, neural networks doing edge computing uh, on, on, on the car, on the robot itself, that means our innovation needs that data to be there. So um, do you guys have thoughts on, you know, or ideas, practices that you have done in the past to accelerate that? Yeah, I can speak to that. Um, it's funny because just listening to all of you, I realize I, this is kind of a loaded question in the first place because I used to be in science. And so I literally just basically asked you all about the scientific method, right? <laughs> so that's what really, that's what's really going on here is, you know, formulating hypotheses and then using data to measure them, which um, exactly to your point, Akshay, I do think that when you're designing things, you need to think about su success metrics, right? And you need to think about those metrics at all stages and you need to do testing and you need to start thinking about how you test your hypotheses early on. And then to Steve's point about agile, you want to make those hypotheses granular so that you can start to test small pieces of it early on. And I think, um, you know, in the world of application design, for example, you would put out an MVP and then you would have user testing or you would think about your success metrics, whether it's like monthly active users or daily active users, depending on what you're doing. Um, I think there's that kind of thing. There's performance testing that you can do and benchmarking. But I, I think it depends on specifically what you're doing. But, you know, like I said, it's the scientific method now that I'm thinking about it. So thanks for that. Okay. Um, brilliant. So um, has anybody got anything else related to this that they'd be keen to, to share? Um, speak now or forever. Hold your peace. No problem. So um, let's move on to the third topic today then, um, which was Steve's topic around how do you balance delivery work with innovation work? Um, Steve, over to you to again, uh, set the scene for us. Sure, thank you. And I think I originally mentioned startups, but I, I think this happens pretty much everywhere. Uh, you know, anytime uh, a business is is investing uh, in in a product of, of any sort, um, you know, we just we just talked about it. Like, how much do you invest uh, in a product uh, before you can start collecting data and and determining uh, its direction? Um, you know, one of the challenges of a, of a startup, especially when um, you have limited funding uh, or or even you have a lot of funding, but um, you have hyper growth and uh, you want to uh, you're in a very competitive environment. Um, you know, you have to be able to produce features. Uh, you have to get them out quickly. Uh, you have to stay competitive with um, some of the other products out there or you have to create that market quickly uh, before others catch up. Uh, and that happened with um, uh, Presto, which is now Trino. Uh, you know, we, we saw that as we were uh, building features, uh, we had to really round out uh, the SQL language that it supported. Uh, and what, when you're doing that, when you're, when you're hyper-focused on uh, feature development, sometimes it's hard to also balance uh, some innovation along with that. Uh, it's hard to balance things like cleaning up tech debt or making investments in your architecture. Um, maybe looking at new platforms you'd like to uh, move to, uh, and those are um, those have always been struggles uh, at startups, but also big companies too. Uh, you know, when we were at um, Teradata building out Presto, uh, there was a lot of demand for us to uh, get Presto to the point where 
uh, it could start generating revenue. Uh, and they didn't want to hear the, the business side of it, didn't want to hear uh, about too many investments in innovation, or they didn't want to hear uh, about too many investments in architectural improvements and whatnot. So, uh, so that's a challenge. Um, uh, I've had a few ideas on that myself, and, and it's been uh, working with the business to try to put uh, an ROI on what innovation might bring and uh, treat it as if you would a feature. Uh, what, you know, in the case of a feature, uh, what does the user get get out of this? How much does it cost to, to implement? Uh, and we try to do the same thing with um, innovation. Uh, so what's the payoff? What's the value uh, to the to the end user in the end? Brilliant. Um, thanks for that, Steve. Um, over to you, Matt, to get your thoughts initially. Absolutely. I really like that idea of coming up with an ROI on innovation because um, I think you know, you hit upon the key there. It's tough to get the senior leadership on board with the idea of spending time on innovation. You know, what I've done in the past is stealing ideas from Google is, you know, like setting time aside for people a, like we used to do like one day a month that was work on anything you want. And that can be, you know, fixing that bug, bug that's been annoying you for, for months or, you know, working on some new cool feature you think would be interesting or, you know, whatever it may be. We said no questions asked, although we would ask to, you know, We'll have a meeting every now and then just to talk about what you've been doing to get a feel for you know the kind of stuff you've been been doing but really try and make it very loose but as you say the um the challenge of getting senior leadership particularly particularly when there's that pressure uh to just just deliver 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 to spend that time doing that is uh is a real challenge and if you can demonstrate that roi and i think i think one of the things we probably never took it to this point when i was doing this but um if you're, you know, if you start out with, say, you know, once a month we're, or even, you know, once a quarter, we're going to spend a day, uh, you know, working on whatever we want and then actually look at what came out of that and build build an argument about the ROI that came from from what was done in that and use that to justify things. And then and then, you know, if you can get people on board, you can then do more and more of that as it as it makes sense and keep keep the, going back to the data question, keep that data coming in that you've got to, to report on and to demonstrate that ROI. Brilliant. Uh, Colleen, you're currently working in a, a hyper growth business. Um, yeah. So I presume this this is a uh, a topic that's relevant to yourself. What are, what are your yes, thoughts? Very close to my heart. And um, we haven't done this yet at Starburst, although we've discussed it, but at some of the other startups I've worked at, we've been very prescriptive, exactly as Matt was uh, suggesting, to do hackathons, right? And we turned it into an event, and it was like a cultural event. Twice a year, we spent three or four days, and people love this, but the beauty of it, getting back to the ROI, is we actually had new products get developed, like things that people had been noodling on for months, and we had a page where people could just like write down their ideas. And then if somebody else had that idea, they would see that. And then when hackathon time came, you'd be like, hey, I saw you were also interested in that thing. And so people would form groups. And it was really wonderful because A, it's a cultural event, which you know we all could use. And especially in this hybrid world, that would be a great thing. But um, you know, I do think that, you know, however you implement it, setting aside that time is really important but then on top of that making sure that everyone is on board and aligned around the company vision especially in a startup right you give people time to think and that's hard to do at a startup but making sure they understand what the ultimate goals are 
and making sure that they understand what innovation the rest of the organization and the rest of the market is doing. I think it's really important. Um, the other thing about startups is you pivot a lot, right? And sometimes you get downtime when you pivot, right? Like I've had periods where we pivoted the back end. So the front end engineers are spending a week spinning their wheels, looking at tech debt. It's like, take those opportunities for innovation. And I think people come up with great ideas in those situations. Brilliant. Yeah, I like, I like the idea of um, creating an, an event around that gives a platform for innovation to come through. That's really good. Um, back up to, to yourself, Matt. Yes. Yeah, so, so just uh, maybe more of a question than uh, anything else for, uh, for Colleen. So one of the issues I, I saw, and this goes back to something that Akshay was talking about, was sort of the different personalities. Right? So when you're doing that hackathon or you know letting people do their own thing, uh, some people are really proactive and, oh, I've got an idea here. I want to go run with this. And other people just, they're just, you know, back in the background. They don't really want to either, you know, volunteer their idea or, you know, get involved in that. And it's quite difficult to pull them into that. And, you know, we try to do things with the idea of, oh, well, you know, you can latch on to a group where someone else identified something. Feel free to latch on to that and, and support that. But even then, there was still a good chunk of the the people who... They just they're just not really interested in in getting involved in that and maybe i didn't make it enough of an event i'm not sure but wanted to get your thoughts on that colleen and how whether you had that same issue and if you had yeah. ways to address that you mean your people didn't love forced fun <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um forced innovation that doesn't work no and i think um something you said earlier about diversity begetting innovation is really important i mean I always love this statistic, but McKinsey, I think it was, found that more diverse companies with more diverse leadership are 70% more innovative. They get 70% 70, 70 more revenue from new products, right? And so having that diversity of thought, I mean, I think you need to make it an event and you need to encourage people um, more, but then also we used to give prizes, right? Like we gave prizes. People love a prize. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love a gift card to Amazon, right? Um, so, you know, giving prizes for, you know, cool ideas, but also ridiculous ideas, you know, like, and, and make sure that people understand that they don't have to come up with the idea that other people have good ideas too, and you can help and you can jump in with somebody else. But, you know, we would cancel all meetings for those days as well. And I think that was really, really important. Yeah, I think if the, the leadership are... You know, team are leading from the front in terms of their commitment to to said event. Then hopefully others follow, and absolutely any prize is going to generate interest for sure. Um, actually, what are what are your thoughts? Um, first, agree with all all that's been spoken. Setting time aside needs to be a part of the culture, uh, top down, individual level teams. And as a leader, I think it's important to be able to build strategy and prioritize your investments so that towards innovation as well, right? That is that that is the control that uh, we as managers and leaders have towards that. So um, one, one thing that I've done with the teams I've worked with is something like an idea registry. It's really a Google Doc or a, a Confluence page that is just open. And you can, if we are having a daily standup, you are having a coffee, chat, everybody has access to edit that, and you can put whatever you want. It, it can be related to our work or something else valuable to my organization or not. It's, it's just an idea registry, right? And then that gives me 
the need to build that strategy and prioritize my investments and uh, the the present that ROI to leadership to bring more investment. Um, one one other perspective from a startup standpoint, I I've like really spent my entire career in startups and. Uh, I was one of the co-founding engineers in the first company that I joined. So we were like three engineers and three managers uh, that started that company. So one thing I've observed is that startups are really constantly innovating. And the, the definition of innovation changes from a phase that you are in. So if your startup is in a phase where you are all your engineering is delivering work to you know, send it to the customer, you are at a great place. That means you're making revenue. Um, the, that is a good problem to have. But on the other side, at that point, you as a startup are scaling in marketing, scaling, maybe scaling in operations. And those are places where companies actually investing in innovation. These are the things and functions that you as a team, your team has not done before. And that is where those are opportunities for innovation, even for uh, engineers. I've, I've seen great ideas come from engineers on how should we do you know, field testing with the customer or how should we sell this feature to a customer? Um, and those are areas I, I would say like we should, maybe as leaders should promote, like this is where we are, this is the reality. You know, we, we probably are investing less on building a new feature, but our investments is going on the other side. And it creates that trust and humbleness within that leadership uh, within the startup as well. Um, so we are always we're really always solving new challenges in, in a startup. They may not be tech related. Um, and then other last last comment is the it's it goes back to uh, agile as well, right? We we are promoting continuous improvement all the time. So promoting that culture, having retrospectives, getting feedback, and then getting ideas to fix those small problems in processes on how we document things, or even those ideas are innovation, innovative ideas. And when those ideas come to food, we should go back and recognize them as rewards. It, we, one place is like we do it at an org level through hackathons or you know IP disclosures and things like that. At a, but at a very, very small level, at, at individual level or a team level, I think those are uh, recognition still goes a long way. Brilliant, great points, Akshay. Thanks for that. Um, Steve, over to you. Oh yeah, I just I wanted to follow up on a, a few of those uh, comments around just innovation and people's ability, you know, to uh, wrap their mind around it. And you know, generally, I've, I've been involved in a lot of hackathons over the years. Um, there's some people that just don't like them. <laughs> They're just not good at them. They they don't think that way. And I think generally for uh, innovation, that's true too. Uh, there's some people that you know, they just want to write code or they just want to solve the problem at hand and they're, they're not going to think outside the box. And um, I think one of the key um, uh, thoughts that uh, uh, Colleen mentioned is, um, you know, have, you really have to understand the vision of where you're going with a product or where the company's going, what direction you're going, uh, and try to encourage people to think outside the box really for, uh, uh, for that in order, to, in order to be able to, to think that way and come up with the, uh, the valuable topics uh, for the uh, uh, hackathon. So uh, I think having that context is, is very important. Brilliant, yeah, agreed. I think um, in terms of the, the business leaders buying into the 
innovation um, side of things and getting getting making sure that time is definitely enough time is set aside i think if the mindset is shifted towards them perceiving it as a revenue generating opportunity um they might be more open to time being spent um uh, across the business so brilliant thanks for that guys let's move on to the the final topic um for today which was put forward by akshay so um you were asking how do you balance building a culture of innovation with effective execution in high pressure environments at different management levels so as a individual contributor a team and a team of a of a team so um as ever do you want to set the scene for us all sure uh thanks um, yeah, i think it, it relates to steve's question as well a little bit but um, I, i'd like to you know understand from this panel as at different levels uh, of management and when i say different levels the innovation uh, I, I mentioned this before the innovation for an ic may mean different to uh, from an innovation for a team and innovation for a team of teams um and how how do you the the, the challenge I, I i've run into multiple times is how do you align the most valuable innovation with the work at different levels so there what if i for example if i'm talking about somebody at an individual contributor who's uh, who's building building a feature that needs to be delivered to the customer but that is less of uh, that is less of the interest when it comes to that person's um aspirations on what they want to work on so where they where they feel they can be innovated versus what they are actually delivering are two separate things right that happens in high pressure environments a lot so how do you bridge that gap um an example at team level could also be at you know a team is building the feature they have set aside you know 10 20% of the time during the sprint to work on innovative ideas but you never end up getting to that 10 20% time because there is always a, a a customer expectation to be on time and you always run into integration issues and then at a team of team levels i think it's a, a little different uh type of a challenge where uh it's more about actually building that culture um and letting people come back with ideas to how to build processes how to build this culture for innovation so how how uh, yeah these are the three levels uh, that i i want to get more input from you guys on brilliant thanks for that akshay um steve do you want to run with this one initially uh sure sounds good um yeah i had i had some thoughts on that as well and i, I think a lot of it you know really it depends on the, you're right it depends on the level um you know uh building a culture of innovation um that's a big thing that's something that takes time to do that uh it's uh, many times they're empty words uh from uh, from leaders uh but you know you have to start to start at the lower level and show um you know rewarding individuals who do uh come up with something you know highlighting let's say something comes out of a um a hackathon or uh you know in the past I've, I've also uh worked in environments where we've set aside a half a day or a day uh, once a month to innovate uh, but uh, making examples and making sure other people see uh, that uh, that is valuable. It's not just your 90%, your 95% feature work that you're doing, uh, but it's it's the other things as well. Um, and and really helping the business uh, side of it. When what I mean by that is the the leaders who you know want to see more features, uh, showing them uh, you know again that ROI and showing them uh, that hey here's 
here's something innovative that came out of that hackathon or that one day of innovation that now we're using or uh, you know the examples I like to use uh, to go back to my passion is uh, developers working more efficiently or more with more productivity or um, things that we've done uh, that now uh, can enable them to be more productive and uh, how that's going to help them uh, going forward. So being able to measure an improvement in velocity or an improvement in uh, predictability of a sprint uh, and having that data to show uh, that that was tied to that innovative change. Um, and so those are uh, just a few thoughts uh, on that. Thanks for that, Steve. Yeah, agreed. I think that promotion element around innovation is a key and integral part of the process. Um, Colleen, what, what are your thoughts? I really like the phrase culture of innovation. I do think that's important. I think you touched on something with the last question that it it depends on the stage of the company as well, right? Like a, a place like Google it is going to be more prescriptive, whereas at a startup, kind of constantly happening, right? And so I think at all levels, you need to marry together uh, the idea that we need to execute and to be incredibly explicit and clear in communicating expectations around execution with the idea that you may not be able to spend time on an idea you have today, but you will get that time, right? I mean, these things, you know, especially at a smaller startup, you have like, you know, customer X is waiting for feature Y. So that is the number one priority, but there are going to be times when you're not under the gun like that. And so I think just communicating constantly at all levels about the value of innovation and the expectations around timing for features, things like that, and making sure that people understand these things aren't consistent, right? Like it's not always that perfect mix. Um, but culture really also just comes down to the behaviors that are tolerated and rewarded, right? Like I always sort of frame culture that way. And so I think rewarding innovation is key. So celebrating innovation and making sure people know cross-functionally um, the value of innovation and that it's a key element of success at a company. So that when you're talking to stakeholders, you're prioritizing work, you can say, hey, the team hasn't had time to play with things for a while. Is this a priority above that and you can start to actually have those conversations at all levels about innovation versus feature work. Absolutely, thanks for that. Um, Matt, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I definitely wanna echo what other people have been saying about the, uh, you know, it has to come from the top down, right? The attitude to supporting innovation and it has to be shown through actions, not just empty words. Um, one of the I, I've heard mentioned a few times today tech debt. I mean, I think we've all you know we're all very familiar with tech debt. But one of the, a, a term I don't think does get used is uh, productivity debt. Um, and in my mind, what that you know what what that means is you know we know particularly in a startup environment, but anywhere where you're delivering software, there's that constant pressure to hit the dates, hit the dates, hit the dates, and we 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 drive our teams so hard. And when we do that at least in my mind, you know, we are borrowing against our future productivity to do that, right? We're, we're, you know, we're risking burnout. We're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're pushing people to, you know, 100 hours a week to try and get out this, this feature or, or something, you know, something crazy to try and hit a deadline. And at some point, you know, people have got to recover from that. You can't keep that kind of momentum going week after week. You've got to, you've got to back off. You know, you've got to find that, that steady state that you can manage and that allows you 
to factor in that innovation time in there. And again, you know, as I think has been mentioned, you're gonna, you know, that's not gonna be a flat curve, right? It's gonna be up and down and there's gonna be on those down bits is where you can squeeze in the innovation. But if your curve is way up there, then, you know, you, there's there's no time for innovation even on the down bit. So you've got to get the level right and you've got to have the the support from the very top levels. And that really does, does mean setting expectations with, you know, your sales and marketing teams and the executive teams and so on on this is a realistic delivery time frame that isn't going to burn out our entire team over the next few months. And, and it's, I don't have a magic wand to how we can you know, make that happen, but that's really the crux, right? Is, 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 and maybe going back to the data question, there's some data there that we can use to, to really show that, to show, and I, I don't think I've seen any studies out there, but I'd be really interested to see if there is something that shows, you know, if, if you run your team at, at, at these levels, then your, you know, your productivity is down here, but if you actually slow down your productivity, increases I, you know and if you if we've got that kind of data you can use that to argue with those executive teams and get that buy-in yeah a very valid point um steve back to yourself yeah i was just going to say that um the productivity again is a uh, near and dear to my heart um uh, the word i've been using recently in the past few years is tax uh, and that's the way I, I describe it to our business owners is um you know, our de they're paying a tax for our developers because they're not productive, uh, because there's there's some amount of debt or there's some things uh, holding them back, uh, and they seem to comprehend that. So that's a good word to use. Brilliant. Um, looping back around to Akshay, you obviously put this question forward. What would you like to add on to what people have mentioned already? These, uh, well, thank you, uh, all three of you guys. Uh, great ideas and really expands where uh, my original thought was on this topic. <laughs> um, one thing that I, I've, I've experimented with, in pa uh, with it in the past, uh, where I, I was in a situation where I was leading multiple teams and they were in a very, very high pressure timeline uh, that went more than six months. So pretty much uh, a long hours, six months straight. Um, that was harsh on the team. And that is where you know burnout was the primary symptom of what was going on. The the secondary symptom at the the org level I started noticing was our innovation is going down. We are we're running into problems that if we were not in this state or symptoms of burnout were not there, the, I totally believe that the team would have solved it in a in a shorter time frame, right? It's the tax that, uh, that you know, or the, the productivity um, debt that, that the team was uh, uh, occurring. So one of, the, uh, one of the ideas I started doing was setting, you know, um, widely important goals. It, it comes from the, the book, Four Disciplines of Execution, uh, where these, these are goals outside of the whirlwind of things that are really going on. So not to stop the delivery of the customers, but just maybe taking a step back on a, a for a few hours with some key folks who are who participated and note down the pain points and come up with one achievable goal that can help you increase or reduce your productivity debt or reduce your tax so that when there are times for these long term sessions where engineering or the teams need to deliver not just engineering for longer periods of time with high burnout, those wildly important goals bring bring motivation, make adjustments to and 
comes back to that continuous improvement that the team is still able to adjust their pace, their velocity while while on this uh, on this runway. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, good points again. So, um, anybody would like to share some other ideas or um, you know tools that have worked related to to this topic? No, no problem. So, yeah, thanks very much, guys, for um, your contributions. Um, I'm very keen to get a takeaway or a key takeaway from each of you, an idea that that came out of the discussion today that you're going to look to to run with in your role or with your with your team. Um, so, Colleen, let's start with yourself. What would be your key takeaway from today? Uh, I think for me and for Starburst, I want to be more intentional about time for innovation and to encourage people to set aside time, whether we do it as an entire organization in a planned hackathon uh, or we are just encouraging individual contributors to do that. But I think at every level we need to do that. And that's something that I'm going to take back to my organization. I think we do it to some degree, but we can be more intentional about it. Good. Um, hopefully that will be well received. I think it will be, yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, Akshay, back to yourself. What would be your key takeaway from today? Um, a, a lot of good conversations uh, and notes on my side. I think one of the big lessons I I heard from everyone is, you know, it, it's it, we are in this hybrid environment, and I, I believe Motional as a company does great handling innovation. But I, from from my individual and my team's participation standpoint, I want to encourage that more. And a you know, couple key points would be I want to you know have these discussions. How do we start? using data more um, and you know how do we start making those proving and disproving those hypotheses more i think that's that is one of the key takeaways that i feel would really help me and and the team that i'm working with brilliant thanks for that um steve what about yourself yeah i think similar to colleen uh it's the time um and and we do provide time but it's uh i think uh currently at fine-tune uh finding ways to become more prescriptive about it uh, and you know, creating a safe space for that. And there's been some great ideas uh, discussed here. I love, love the water cooler idea, innovation week, uh, hackathons. Uh, you know, doing uh, trying to do do more of that is is uh, important. Um, overall, I would say, uh, as I was listening uh, to the various topics, um, it they really align very well. I think they're all kind of. Um, uh, it's hard to just say, you know, one thing's more important than the other. I think you need to really merge a lot of these concepts together. You know, it's creating time for innovation. It's using data. It's failing fast. It's being agile, uh, you know, to to really create that culture of innovation that uh, Akshay had, had talked about. Brilliant. Thanks for that. And then finally, Matt, how about yourself? Yeah, I, mean, I certainly agree. There's been a lot of uh, really great ideas thrown out. It's been a fantastic conversation, and thank you to everyone here. It's been really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think the biggest thing for me right now is that I will try and put into action is uh, incentivizing innovation. So, and being currently in the public sector, it's a little bit more challenging than it might be in the private sector, but I'm uh, going to look for ways to, to incentivize those uh, innovative approaches. And, yeah, so thank you. Good luck with that, Matt. Um, <laughs> brilliant. So <clears throat> um, 
let's leave the, the conversation there. This has been the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank all of our guests today, Steve, Matt, Colleen, Akshay, thank you very much for your insights and contributions. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.